0: I'm so excited for what God has done here this week, and and uh, and I know that it's just normal. Uh, this church has the history of being a place where people experience and meet Jesus, find his presence, experience miracles and growth in their lives, and I'm so glad uh, that God would permit us to be uh partnering up with your church this week. What a privilege that is for us. I hope that you'll uh, stop by and take advantage of some of the ministry materials we have in the foyer. They'll be a blessing. We never make a big deal about them. I don't want to be misunderstood about that. But but uh, we try to uh, create, always working, uh, creating resources, writing books and teaching and stuff like that for people to help integrate the power and work of the Holy Spirit in their lives in a greater way. We all kind of know our problems, right? How many have problems? If your neighbor didn't raise their hand, lean over to them and suggest the issue of denial as a starting point, all right? And then we kind of work on from there. But um, you know, being a Christian is not about being perfect, um, it's it's just about relying more on God's help and growing and, and constantly being on that growth plane, and it's real easy to stagnate in our Christian walk and in our life in general and just kind of get blurry and just kind of feel like a cog in a machine, but the Holy Spirit helps us to really live a, a life of purpose and a life of, of focus, a life of impact, and so there are some resources back there to help you to grow in that. All of these are super inexpensive and easy to read. Um, Uh, Matter of fact, this little book, Want More, I hope every family will grab a hold of. This book is for people that just want more of the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. And it just goes through and just kind of uh, helps us to understand uh, the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life in a greater way. It's designed, you can sit down and read it in about an hour and a half. Um, it's not a long read. It's designed to be short and pithy. There's even, they're like Ernest Hemingway sentences, just real short and to the point um, so that you can just kind of, kind of get not Ernest Hemingway in quality though, but, uh, but in, uh, in, in pithiness. But, but take advantage of that. It's really helpful. And then any of you speak the language of heaven, Espanol? Yeah, so we've got it in Spanish back there, to Sayamas. And if you... Um are interested in learning what will speak in heaven, you can grab a hold of this and that will help right there. Um, we also have a, a book back there for our children, for elementary age children, uh, to open up to and understand the power and work of the Holy Spirit called Kid Power. And Rochelle and I wrote this a couple years ago because we were so deeply burdened. You know, the enemy is targeting our kids at younger and younger ages. How much more should we as people that know the know the presence and power of God be enabling our kids at even the youngest age to open up to the power and presence of God, to live an empowered life, uh, because, man, the enemy has taken no prisoners, and uh, and we need to be all the more intentional. And there's a lot of parents that just kind of, I mean, they love the Lord, they're open up, they're filled with the Holy Spirit's power, but they just never, never talk, to them, uh, talk to their kids about that, or grandkids. And this is just a real great resource on that. It will open up doors for you to talk to your kids. It might even be a great thing one night before they go to bed, explain, just sit down and talk with them about some of the things the Holy Spirit's done in your life, and that will start or hunger in them, but anyway, some really helpful stuff, so take advantage of all that back there, it'll be an encouragement. Well, why don't you join me in standing up to your feet, I know you just sat down, but man, we are burning calories like crazy, why stop now, right? And uh, and get our heart rate up here. We're going to read the Word of God together off the screen. I'm deeply convicted, as Paul commanded Timothy, that the public reading of Scripture should be a consuming thing that we devote ourselves to. And so we want to just read the Word of God out loud together. We're going to see the Word of God. We're going to process it in our processor. We're going to speak the Word of God. You're going to Feel the word of God in your mouth, you know, I mean, uh, as you as you form and use your muscles and et cetera. And then we're going to hear the word of God kind of backfed into our ears and then everyone else around us speaking and it just kind of get soaked in it. And the portion we're going to read from the larger larger chunk that we're going to read this excerpt from is the teaching of Jesus at the Last Supper. So this is uh, the Last Supper discourse. And in, in a nutshell, these three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, gives to us the largest preserved teaching, preserved in the Word of God, uh, that Jesus gave about the Holy Spirit's ministry for us. And in a nutshell, John chapter 14, Jesus introduces to the disciples how much they need the Holy Spirit. And then in John 16, he focuses in on living a life that is filled with great fulfillment, fulfilling the will of God by bearing much fruit. And then in John chapter 16, Jesus circles back around, and reemphasizes the Holy Spirit's ministry, how much they need it. But he adds one more statement to this um, in his emphasis. He challenges them with how trustworthy the Holy Spirit is. He even vouches for the Holy Spirit. We'll read it here in a moment. He basically says, if you trust me, trust the Holy Spirit. And so let's read this portion of Scripture together. Are you ready? Yeah. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me." Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your power. And we just choose today, might be unpopular in the world around us, but we just choose to say this, my understanding is not the measure of all things. I don't know everything. My opinions can be right. They can be wrong. But I just declare today over my own life, I choose to elevate the word of God over every one of my opinions, right or wrong. I choose to elevate the word of God over my thinking And I welcome you, Lord, today to conform my thinking and my understanding to your eternal word. I choose to elevate the word of God in that way in my life, and I thank you so much, God, for responding to us as we draw near to you. And I pray, Lord, today, as as you always in your ministry combine teaching and healing, I pray today, Lord, that even during the teaching time, even right now, many will suddenly sense the Holy Spirit's healing presence falling upon them. I pray, God, even particularly, Lord, for those that are struggling with some kind of digestive condition or respiratory condition, that they would begin to sense right now a sudden awareness that there is more here than what I realized before. The presence of healing Christ is coming upon their bodies right now. We thank you, God, today for performing miracles in people's bodies that will literally change the way they live in incredibly positive ways. Thank you, God, for your healing grace touching us today. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you like, or you can stand on your head if you like, whatever's comfortable. Um, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's often a lot of confusion because people don't know what to do with him. Because there's kind of typically, in, in particularly in American Christianity in general, there's, there's not been a lot of teaching recently on the Holy Spirit. And I know your church is awesome about that. and I love Pastor Chris's ministry, it's so amazing, but, and, and all the ministries of your church. But maybe, maybe you've come from a different church background, and you're like, well, you know, I mean, Jesus, I get him, but Holy Spirit, what in the world? And, and a lot of people, they kind of, um, th- let's think about this for a moment. We know two facts about how God is made up, how, what his composition is. The word declares to us that God is how many beings. Well, that's a trick question because I led you astray there. We worship as Christians how many gods? One, okay? So the main fact about how God is made up is that he is one being, one substance, one essence. As Christians, we are monotheists, right? We worship one God. We know that we worship the eternal creator God of the Bible. The Hebrew scriptures would reveal his name as Yahweh, uh, or if you kind of mess with the uh, vowels there, you'd get Jehovah, which isn't bad. He's been called worse, but Yahweh would be the probably the clearest uh, Pronunciation—I'm sure I've got an accent on it—but but, but uh, that's who we worship. We worship the eternal Creator, God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and and calling on the name of the Lord, we we experience salvation and help. That's the most important fact. The second most important fact about how God is made up is that even though He is one being, one essence, one substance, that within His one being, He is so vastly greater than we are, more complicated than we are, that within his one being are the three distinct persons of the Trinity. So like when we think about somebody having multiple persons, we think about that being a, a psychological fracture or something. And that's a lot of times it's kind of like a psychological coping mechanism, people with multiple personality disorder, and, and that's something God heals as well. But, but we think about with God, it's not a fracture. It's, it shows his completeness even though God is one being within his one being, are the co equal, together equal persons of God the Father, God the Son, or Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And so in our brains, we go, Well, I can get the fatherhood of God because everybody has a dad, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, Who's your daddy, right? So we have, everybody's had a good, bad, present, absent, we all have had a father um we and we can understand the person of Jesus because of the three persons of the trinity of the godhead Jesus is the one we most relate to because he took on flesh and dwelt among us he didn't stop being god in any way he retained his full divinity but at the at the incarnation at christmas he took on Humanity as well, and became fully human as well it 's kind of like God only God can do math like that he didn 't he didn 't like fifty percent God and empty that, and then fifty percent humanity he superimposed divinity and humanity upon each other so that he could have every human experience, be tempted in every way as we, and yet never cease being God in any way, shape, or form. It's the ultimate immersion virtual reality experience, right? You know, And so he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we can identify with Jesus. We've seen the paintings, haven't we? Oh, I hope he doesn't look like those paintings. What a disappointment. You know, it's kind of like a malnourished Ted Nugent, you know, and, and uh, you know, gaunt and little jaundice, a sheep under his arm, bathrobe, et cetera. And, and, uh, but uh, we, if you really want the best picture of Jesus, not some artist's rendition from the Middle Ages, but you want to see what it looks like, read Revelation 1 this week. Uh, just It gives Revelation chapter 1, the first chapter, gives John's uh, description of the resurrected glorified Christ. So we can identify with the fatherhood nature of God, the Son, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, His first name is holy, which means perfect, and I can't get a hold of perfect. Can you? I mean, seriously? The only, the only 100% I ever got on a test, test or a quiz was a spelling class in elementary school. And actually, kindergarten was a very strong academic year for me. But uh, a spelling test. And, and on that spelling test afterwards, we found out later on that the teacher had used the wrong answer key. And I actually had some stuff wrong on it, but she gave us 100% anyway. I don't get perfect. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. We're only 6-1. Uh, and one. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I can't. Uh, um, but, um, and we have a good Assemblies of God quarterback, so that helps. But um, I, I, don't, um, you know, I don't get perfect. I don't get holy. And then the word spirit um, doesn't mean ghost, by the way. That's a mistranslation. Nowhere in the original language is the Holy Spirit ever called ghost. That word is used in the New Testament, the word phantasma. It's always used in a negative way, something people were afraid of. Um, like when Jesus came walking on the water at night and the disciples saw him and they were scared. They thought he was a ghost, a disembodied spirit, of phantasma. You know, they were scared, spooky Halloween kind of thing. The word pneuma or, or spirit or, or breath is always used for the ministry of the spirit. And that simply means um, invisible. So because I don't relate to perfection and I can't see him, it's really easy for me to ignore him because I, I can't, you know, I can't. I can't see the picture of him. I don't relate to him relationally like a father. So how do, how do I grab? So, you know, I, what most Christians do, they either ignore him or other Christians use him as a license to be kooky and weird, you know? And some of the worst behaviors that ever have happened in the history of the Christian church have been blamed on the Holy Spirit. But did you see what Jesus said about him? Can we go to the second scripture slide, please? And check out what Jesus said about him, I love this. Jesus is getting ready to go to the Passion of the Cross and then eventually go back to heaven 40 days later after his resurrection, but he says, there's so much more I wanna tell you, but you can't bear it now, you can't handle the truth. You know, there's so much more, you need so much more information, so much more help, but you can almost hear the sigh in his voice. He says, but when the spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to pick up where I left off. He is the spirit of what? Truth. That means you can always trust the Holy Spirit. He's never going to lie to you. And he guides us where? Into all truth. Jesus had already stated and told the disciples that he is the truth. So Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is just like me. He's going to continue my ministry where I was with you in one geographical location and one physical body here on earth. When I go to heaven, the Holy Spirit, he's going to be inside of every Christian and he's going to replicate my ministry inside of you. He's the spirit of truth and he's going to guide you into all truth. He'll never guide you into error. He'll never lie. Like I've heard people say, Boo, you got to be careful with the Holy Spirit stuff. You never know what he's going to do. Because, you know, there's this story about Evangel Church that's gone around for years. Have you heard this? There was a lady from your church in the old building back in the 50s, and her name was Ethel. And did you ever hear the story? I'm sure you have. It's, it's, everyone knows about this. And the Holy Spirit fell upon her in a church service. There was a bolt of lightning, a puff of smoke, the smide of, smell of fried bacon, and she was gone. We ain't seen her since. All that was left was a pair of melted high heels, and she was, you know... No, it's not true. But, um, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, if he moves on you, he might make you bark like a dog and stick to the ceiling and, you know, whatever. You wake up two weeks later in the drainage ditch in front of the church with a bean can on your head going, what happened to me, you know? But it's not like that at all. The Holy Spirit wants to take us to places we could never get to by ourselves, the places that Jesus had. Now, look at the next thing he says, if you would, on that slide. He says the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. You go, hmm. Hmm. who's he hearing from? But then Jesus sneaks in this other really cool thing. He will tell you about the future. That's not saying, like, don't ask him for lotto numbers. He won't give them to you. Don't ask me how I know that, but I have a friend that told me that, okay? But but he's just saying the Holy Spirit's going to help you prepare for tomorrow, We have like some pretty good help there from the Holy Spirit. But then he goes back on this. We find out what the Holy Spirit is going to speak. Remember, he's not going to speak on his own. He's going to tell you what he has heard. Skip that line. Verse 14, he will bring glory to me, Jesus said, by telling you whatever he receives from me. When you hear the Holy Spirit speak, when you sense his leading, Jesus is prompting him to speak to us. Wow. It is impossible to fulfill the will of God for our lives without the Holy Spirit's help. And whether you like it or not, he's already been working in your life, if you have any relationship to Jesus at all. It's impossible to be saved without the Holy Spirit's help, we'll see. In fact, the ultimate end of Christianity is that we would fulfill the will of God for our lives. And I think it's important to just reflect for a moment that the will of God is not necessarily the American dream. The American dream is what? Mass accumulation of junk until the pile's so high they can't ever find your body, right? Uh, So when they're eating the celebratory potato salad in the Church Fellowship Hall in your honor, they go, wow, Sally, she was a great lady. She had every Hummel figurine ever made, you know? Uh, She had, you know, Ralph, he was a great guy. Man, he had a a garage full of car parts. What in the world are we going to do with all that junk? I mean treasure now, you know? But but it's not the mass accumulation of junk because the American dream really has, has a selfish notation to it, doesn't it? Me, 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 me first, you know? I love the East Coast. I was raised in Pennsylvania. We've lived in Wichita, Kansas now as our home base, a geographical center of the lower 48. But we've lived there for um, about 20 plus years now. And I love coming back to the East Coast because the East Coast is, if you understand it, it's all about inches and seconds, right? Well, you're going to honk at someone if they move their car forward in traffic one foot and the guy in front of you doesn't, you know, meh, you know, you give it to them. It's all about inches and seconds. It's just the East Coast intensity. I love it. Actually, it's great. We live in Kansas. All we have is land. There's like more chipmunks than there are people out where we live or prairie dogs or something like that. But um, it, that's just not there. And it's so slow. It drives me crazy sometimes. And there's no good ma and pop pizza out there either. It's really, it's really pray for us. We need a miracle. But um, the this American dream business is great to a certain extent, but when it, when it diverts from biblical truth and we've got to hop off of it too, because there's like a lot of people that all they live for every year is just a bigger and better car or a bigger and better house. Or, that's a trap you can never fulfill. You can't ever fill that sinkhole, but we want to live a life that like our, our, we live on purpose. For example, like a lot of people think the American dream in parenting, for example, because we have all these beautiful uh, kids getting dedicated to the Lord. It's so beautiful, so meaningful. And, uh, you know, the ultimate goal of Christian parenting is not a Harvard scholarship and all that kind of... That's all great. I mean, I'm for education, aren't you? I'd much rather be smart than dumb, you know? Um, I'm for our kids having all kinds of skills, but let's say your kid is a Ph.D. with 7th degree black belt and whatever, you know, and they, you know, they have a fleet of Maseratis and they have, you know, all that kind of stuff, but they don't know Jesus the ultimate goal of Christian parenting is that our kids wouldn't go to hell. But the American dream says just keep them busy, 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 busy. And some parents are just taking every promotion that comes their way, and they're not paying attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit that's saying, you know, not every promotion is from the Lord. What do you want, more money, or do you want more time with your kids? And so there are just some things, you know, it's, not every promotion is worth it. If it takes time away, you you can tell if your joy tank runs pretty low. You can kind of tell, you know, your stress tank starts bubbling over that maybe you have to stop and reassess. So we have the Holy Spirit to tell us truth, to give us clarity, to heal our eyes, to see. The Bible reveals that there are two basic sides to the will of God. And I want to look at those for just a quick moment with you this morning, and we're going to take the five major ministries of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to plug them in to the two sides of the will of God to help us kind of understand and welcome his ministry in a greater way. The first side of the will of God, we're going to call the personal side of the will of God. This is all about you and I discovering who God is, getting in relationship with him, and ending up in like heaven where the bottom, that's kind of the pragmatic end there. You see that? Anybody want to go to heaven? Scotch Plains is beautiful, heaven's even nicer, right? Okay. And uh, so this is, we see four of the five major ministries of the Holy Spirit plugged into this personal side of the will of God. For example, the first one, conviction, we read about that in our scripture, John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit will convict the world or the lost in regard to three things, our sin. How many of you have sinned? Very low number of you. This is a much more spiritual crowd than the first one it was almost everybody there. Uh, um, but uh, regards to our sin, and then he brings us to the conviction or convincing point is maybe better, because we think of conviction like go to jail. That's not this word. This is brought to the convincing point. I wasn't sure, but God was working in me, and I finally said, Yes, this is true. You know, Spirit of Truth brought truth to me, and I finally accepted it. He convinces us that we have sinned, that God has no sin, God's entirely holy, and then that there is judgment coming, and that's like the gavel drop go to jail. But He's giving us the urgency before that time comes, do something about it. Humble yourself, call on the Lord. And so a lot of people think like the Holy Spirit is this skittish, um, easily scared dove that the moment you sing the wrong song or the, the temperatures of the wrong uh, setting in the, in the room or something happens uh, in a church service, the Holy Spirit flies out of the window and you gotta, you got to you know have a, hold a bake sale and whatever to get them back, smear some peanut butter on your finger and come on back in. We promise we won't sing that song again. I mean, it was Proud Mary, but anyway, you know, come on. And, uh, we, and a lot of people think the Holy Spirit scares away. That's not biblical at all. The Bible shows us that even before we're saved, the Holy Spirit has his waiters on, and he's going through all of our goo, trying to reach out to us to give us the clarity to see how much we need God. It could even be said that the greatest activity, the strongest activity of the Holy Spirit may not even be in a church service, but it may be out with someone that's struggling the most even before they're born again. And so you're not going to scare him away. He wants to help us. He wants to bring us truth in the midst of all of our blurriness. Then the second work of the Spirit, regeneration. This is just another word for our salvation. And there are five words in the New Testament that all mean the same thing. Sometimes, you know, we kind of pastors, whatever, we throw around terminology. But but just maybe as a resetting point, five terms in the New Testament that all mean the same thing. Born again, John 3. Uh, 6, born of the Spirit, John 3, 8, two verses later, mean the same thing, giving your life to Christ. Uh, Then Jesus, John, and Paul, and James use the term saved or salvation. All means the same thing, born again, saved, salvation. The Apostle Paul uses one time this unique word, regeneration, and I use it today just because it's, it's not the normal word we use and it kind of makes us think about it, but save, salvation, born again, born of the Spirit, regeneration all mean the same thing. And where Paul uses this term, regeneration, in Titus 3.5, he's giving extra attention, like Jesus did when he said born of the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation. Did you know that, that we can't be saved without the Holy Spirit's help? We are born again because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. But the Bible is clear. It's the Holy Spirit that applies that work to our lives and creates the new nature within us. We are new creation in Christ Jesus, which is kind of what that word regeneration means. Re again is the prefix. And then generation, not in the form of like grandpa, dad, and me, but generation as in the make, form, create. It's actually... The Greek word for the book of Genesis, beginnings, a brand new beginning. And so he's the one that initiates that new start in our lives. And then the third one, indwelling. It's easy for uh, people to get confused on this, but the Bible is clear, and there's more scripture on this work of the Spirit than any other work of the Spirit in the Bible. The moment we are born again, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to move and live inside of us. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Um, Your body, your carcass is the temple of the Holy Spirit and he's been a little cramped that's why i'm building this addition right here right okay but our our body is is the temple of the holy spirit if you have been saved if you've been regenerated if you've been born again the holy spirit lives in you and he doesn't leave when you commit one little sin he doesn't leave when you go 56 and a 55 he actually doesn't leave till about 89 all right? No. No. He'd, a lot of people misunderstand because we're so sensory-based. We go by what we feel all the time, and because we feel distance from God when we sin, we just assume that He is therefore gone. But the Bible teaches us the Holy Spirit lives inside of us unless we would reject Christ. Then He would leave. But He's inside of us. He dwells inside of us, and He's there. That's why, as a, after we're born again, why we would sense Sorrow for sin and a desire towards God and all these things. And two of the main works of the Spirit, the subpoints under indwelling, A would be the Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation. Paul talks about that five times in his letters, Galatians, uh, Romans 8, etc. Um, but uh, we see he assures us of our salvation whenever we draw near spiritually. If you're doubting your salvation and you're staying away from church and not reading the Bible and not praying ever, and you're not going to sense his affirmation. You're not gonna sense that he is with you, but if you take any steps towards God, you'll begin to peel off the layers of the hardened veneer that we can so easily get, and you'll begin to sense him. That's why it's so important to be committed, and devoted to the house of the Lord and to spiritual disciplines. But then the fourth one, the maturing work. Oh, I didn't give you this the be under indwelling. He not only assures us of our salvation, but he guides us, John 14 and 16. Every Christian has access to supernatural GPS from the Holy Spirit. He can guide and direct us and lead us and help us. And then the fourth one, the maturing work. This is where the Holy Spirit causes us ever increasingly to be less like our selfish selves and more like Jesus, kind of the life process of a Christian. Now, we have to engage in this process for it to happen. I know Christians that have served the Lord for 40 years, and yet they're still babes in Christ, which is most unfortunate. Uh, But uh, we can grow. And and a great portion of scripture here is Galatians chapter 5. It would actually be a really great homework scripture for you if you want to read it. Take you just a few minutes. uh, Maybe even put it on your docket for this week. Especially if you're not anywhere right now in your Bible reading, it would be a great spot to pick up. But Galatians 5, the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, If you want your life to stink, I'm paraphrasing. If you want your life to stink, if you would like to be considered as a guest on the Maury Povich Show, then live your life for yourself. And he lists all the works of the flesh. And it's just a mess. It's all the stuff you go, I don't wanna be like that. But it's all the selfish inclinations of our own heart. But then he says, but if you live a life to the spirit, then your life is going to be filled with the fruit of that and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, chocolate, (laughs) self-control. And all of those things will help you to become more like Jesus. But, but you see, those, all of the fruit of the Spirit all ran antithetical to our own selfish nature. And so we, we are welcoming more of His transforming grace in our lives, and, and so this is a process in life. And you would also see if you're a kind of a theological person, there's a great word Paul uses: the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That just simply means growing to be more Christ-like, growing in holiness, you know, et cetera. You see that work in our lives. So this is the personal side of the will of God. You know, you engage with Jesus in that way and welcome the Holy Spirit's ministry in that way. You'll end up in heaven. You're born again. You're going to heaven. It's that simple. But there are a lot of people that are born again going to heaven, and they are not doing a thing for the Lord on earth, living for themselves. They, they come to church they never miss. They sit in the same seat, park in the same parking space, you know, and they got a collection of bulletins and missionary prayer cards stuck to their frigid air, but they are doing nothing for the Lord. And so a lot of people think, well, if I just play by these rules, if I just do this stuff, then do these things, then I'll go to heaven. Well, Yeah. But I want to tell you, I, you know, the Bible talks about us. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. I think that King James used the word mansions, which is really not there. But uh, many dwelling places within the house of God. The metaphor that Jesus gives, there's one big mansion, one big place. And within his house are many dwelling places we can dwell in. Not like we each get our own mansion. Kind of funny. But it's, you know, it's, it's going to be better than we know anyway. But I, I think if you just do this, if you just give your life to Jesus and live for yourself, and I'm stepping away from where the pulpit should be because this is my conjecture, I think you'll probably live in a van down by the river in heaven, right? Okay? But uh, because there's this reward thing that goes on in heaven, and I'm, you know, I'm being silly with it, but, but what would it be if we actually lived in the fullness God had? When the moment we're saved, there's an entire second side of the will of God that develops, and that's the ministry side. Every Christian is called by God into the ministry. But for some reason, you know, and again, in our our westernized mindset, we think ministry is just a vocation. I mean, it's true. God calls some people like Pastor Chris and Pastor Marsha, all your great staff, Pastor Paul and Pastor Rick and the whole crew, and I am I'm forgetting names, but he, he calls people like that into, into service to lead as Christian leaders, and he gifts them in unique ways and makes ministry their central only passion in life. But the Bible gives us the parable of the seed, not the parable of the sower and the soils, but the parable of the seed, and Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed that is broadcast... Broadly cast, spread about, falls all over the places, and it ends up growing up to become the dominant plant wherever it lands. And the kingdom of God is like everyone in this room. You live in different neighborhoods. You have different spheres of influence, different circles of friends, different vocations, different passions. You know, you're involved in different things in life, and God has broadly cast you so that wherever you're at, the kingdom of God can grow to become the dominant plant in that area. And so, but a lot of people go, well, wait a minute. I love Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I don't have enough time even to, you know, eat my full dinner. I got a doggy bag it, you know? I mean, uh, what? and so we oftentimes use our own personal excuses to keep us from ministry. But there's a biblical principle that ministry, the ministry side is very likely where your fulfillment as a Christian will spring from. You know, it's entirely impossible, or impossible to live in the personal side only and not live a life of very much satisfaction and fulfillment. But the fulfillment comes from the ministry side. We'll, we'll wrap up with that in a second. In this ministry side is where the fifth help from the Holy Spirit comes, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And this is where Jesus takes someone that's already a Christian, already going to heaven, but they are awakened inside to this fact, I want to do more for the Lord. I want to see my family go to heaven. I want to, I want to live a life of greater fulfillment, serving God, but I know my own weakness. So God, give me more power and assistance to do this. And so when they begin to cry out in that way, you great scripture on this. This is what I'll be talking about tonight, by the way, how to receive this power, what to do with it, how do you know you have it, etc. And, and uh, at, at, after we get empowered by the spirit, which is actually to be a lifelong IV, you know, that plugs in, not just a temporary Jehovah Zappa moment, but a, you know, a lifetime encounter of growing in that power. When we come to grips with, I want to do more for the Lord, but I know my weakness. I can't. I don't know what I'm doing, etc., We come to grips with that. Then our response is, God, come and help me. And he does. He empowers us. Or as Jesus prophesied and promised, he baptizes us, drenches us, dips us, dunks us in the Holy Spirit's power so that we can do great things for God. It's real easy. When we're saved, that number three of their indwelling, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. God puts the filling in the Boston cream donut, right? But when we get empowered with the spirit, he dunks us in the chocolate of the Holy Spirit. I can't think of a more spiritual metaphor, right? Okay. So he dunks us. You think about the inward work of the spirit for inward personal transformation but the outward clothing of the Spirit, as Jesus called it in Luke 24, for outward ministry. Like that superhero Iron Man, he puts on the power suit, and he can go and do great things to help other people. It's the same way. We have the work of the Spirit inside of our lives when we're saved, but when you begin to get serious about wanting to to do ministry, you quickly come to grips with your own inadequacies, don't you? I mean, seriously? And so you begin to plead to the Lord, and He clothes us with the Spirit's power to do things we could never do before. And so we see that in two distinct ways. First of all, he empowers us to do what is already naturally possible. A lot of what we do in ministry is simply doing stuff we could already do for ourselves, but do it for others. And again, we have that westernized idea in our brain that ministry is a vocation. Well, I can't do ministry. I'm not a minister. I'm a plumber. I'm a whatever, you know. Uh, Well, we're not talking about vocation. We're talking about a component, a side of the will of God, a component of our Christianity. And we all have this feeling, I think, or many of us have this feeling that we have a personal doctor's note from Jesus why we don't have to do this. Well, you don't have to. This is for everyone else, Sally, but not for you because your mother didn't love you the way you needed and therefore you've developed a bitter maternal toxicity complex and and you just stay right there, you know. You're just our Christian snowflake right there. You just, none of this applies to you. You just, you know, this only applies to the other people. It's not the way it is at all. God likes to use the most broken people to help others. Hasn't God used some of your brokenness already to help other people? And so we have the, I call them the big five, the big five reasons, the big five excuses. We like to say why we personally have a doctor's excuse from Jesus, why we can't do ministry or more ministry. Number one, I don't know what to do. That's always a great one. Plead ignorance. That works. Um, Number two, I don't have the resources to do it, which is funny because God always supplies the resources when you get serious. Um, Number three, I don't have the training or the education. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise, right? I mean, and you're relying on his smarts, not your own. Um, I don't have the time. Eh, That's a Christian maturity issue. How many know you could give Jesus? Seriously, I'm not trying to put a number on it, but let's just say, uh, for hypothetical, everybody in this room could give the Lord two hours in a seven-day period for ministry, couldn't you? Like, what would happen? Seriously? If if you're not doing anything for the Lord consistently, and but you would just call the church office this week and go, hey, you know, I got two hours. What can I do for you? The receptionist is going to love me. Uh, but what what can I what can I do for you? I mean, seriously, they will because there's so much that needs to be done. They're like, well, we some of it might be more clerical, menial thing, like in our brains. You know, well, you know, you got to fold bulletins or whatever. I don't know, but but other, hey, we need. You know, we got. Eight people in the nursing home. Can you go and just pray with them and sing Amazing Grace by their bed and whatever? And you know, and just taking time that was normally devoted, because everybody has as much time to do with what we want, don't we? Honestly, come on. If you've got a television, you've got spare time. Um, if you play games on your phone, you got some spare I'm not saying that's wrong or sinful to do those things, but it just demonstrates that we actually do have time. And so just, just a small amount, devoting it to the Lord. And most of what we call, he calls us to do is doing what we can already do, but doing it for someone else, expecting nothing in return, like buying your own plane ticket to Guatemala, taking days off work, and using your medical skills, not getting paid for it, but paying to do it, to go to help people that are too poor to help with medical needs there. I mean, that's the ethos of this church. It's always been that way. And so, but, but doing it, and he's like, well, I don't have the ability to, well, yeah, but we can, we got people around us. And every, every human being, even before we're born again, there's this innate interior wiring of different levels of passion and compassion in our hearts. Like, even before you were saved, part of the image of God in all of us, in his creative nature in us, we all have different, like, there's different things that would kind of make each one of us cry if we dwelled on it long enough. He stopped me to think about, you know, human trafficking, or you think about um, hungry or the thirsty, or you you think about um, people that are abused or hurt. You think about, you know, all these different needs. You think about people that are lonely. You think about, you know, seniors or shut-ins, or you think about, you know, and whenever we begin to think about some of these needs or, or or the need for justice in some very unjust circumstances in our society, I mean, oh, God's a God of justice, isn't he? And so when, when we begin to think about these things, different buttons get pushed in each one of our hearts. And within a, a group like this, there's sufficient number of people that if you gather together and rally around those passions and compassions God has put in your heart and devote to God some time and prayer about it, You could change the world around you for those circumstances. And then when we get born again, it even comes alive in more because now we realize we not only have access to do what is naturally possible through the empowering the Spirit, but we also have access now to accomplish what is only supernaturally possible, where all of a sudden the realm of miracles opens up. Um, About uh, the month of June of this year, we were in a church. And a lady came up to me afterwards. She was a spark plug. She was 79 years old, and she was kind of hunched over like this. And uh, she was a spark plug, though. I mean, if you had a marathon, she'd be the first, like the Energizer Bunny. And she said, would you pray for me? I said, sure. She said, I lead the food bank ministry of our church. She said, it started out with just you know, me going to the grocery stores and asking them for the extra bread and whatever that we'd give it to the poor or whatever. And then they started to be more than I got hooked up with a food bank. And now we have uh, six or seven uh, storage containers, like tra- tractor trailer containers out in the back of the property. And we distribute um, every two weeks, we distribute 150 portions of food that feed a typical family of four. It's a four bag portion, three bags are staples. And then one bag is just I mean, not like Staples office supplies, but you know what I'm talking about. And then the, the fourth bag is, is just extra goodies that the grocery stores and the food bank gives us. And I said, oh, that's awesome. She goes, I want to believe in God to double that this year. I said, oh, I'll pray with you. So, and as I was praying, I mean, she's just a woman of faith. I said, tell me something happened. She goes, "Well, every week we have miracles. You know, people giving their lives to Christ, and whatever. But she said the funniest miracle of all is every week we have enough just for 150 family units. That's all we get. And she said that we package that. We package that in the days ahead of time. Every two weeks, we get for two distributions of 150 in a month. She said, but our average is about 210 to 230 families come through and we always have enough. She goes, we laugh about it. We count, we have records. But she said, there's always, however many people come through, the last one through is the last distribution of food we have. She said, we live in the five loaves and two fish. I mean, come on, like you'd expect less from Jesus, you know? And so our big five excuses, I don't know what to do, I don't have the resources, I don't have the education, I don't have the training, and I'll just probably make a mistake. We try to excuse ourselves from doing this. But... The greatest level of anointing and assistance and help from the Holy Spirit always lies outside of our comfort zone, outside of our skill zone, outside of our resource zone. He always calls us outside of ourselves, doesn't he? And, and stepping outside of ourself and welcoming more of his power and say, I want to do something. This is where fulfillment comes. And Pastor Rick, can I get you to come back up? That would be awesome. I, I want to close with this thought. There are nine scriptures in the New Testament that connect together the principle of of doing ministry and having a supernatural release of joy and fulfillment in our lives nine of them let me give you just a, I won't give you all nine let me give you just a couple of them you know these let me remind you of them um, the Bible says that something happens in heaven when one sinner repents all of heaven rejoices that's like joy but make it a double Lord grande you know Um, how about Luke chapter 9, Jesus commissions the 12 disciples, we preached on this last night, this portion, um, to go and they go and do ministry. The Bible says they came back filled with great joy, not normal joy, great joy, great abundant fulfillment. Wow. Then the next chapter, Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70 others. These are like you and I. They don't have a spiritual label or whatever. They're you know, not delegated leaders, but they're just ordinary people trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus sends them out. They came back filled with great joy as well after trying to do things for the Lord with the Holy Spirit's help. Then the next two verses later, the Bible says then Jesus privately was filled with great joy at their obedience And prayed to the Father. You feel Jesus, you make Jesus happy, you know. I know your mother-in-law has told him that you only make him cry, but but, but, uh, you can make him happy. You know, again, you can believe your own deficit, which is there. We all have them, right? We can believe our own weakness. Oh, well, one day I'll get fixed enough. I'll be whole enough that I'll be able. If you wait that day, you're going to be a skeleton with dust on it and cobwebs, right? But do something now. What can you do for the Lord? Even something small like, you know, reaching out to your neighbors or talking with your friends or offering to pray for someone when you see they're having need or they're upset, just getting outside of your comfort zone. What are, what are the things in your heart that if you really dwelled on them would, would stir up passion and compassion from the Lord, maybe even bring a tear to your eye, the areas of, that would trigger that you say, I would really like to make a difference in? You got some of those, don't you? Well, if you rely on your own resources, you'll never do anything with it, probably. But if we begin to welcome more power from the Holy Spirit in those areas, we're going to do that. Now, tonight we're going to have a service where we'll do a little more teaching on the second part on the empowering of the Spirit, and then we're going to have a time for people to pray and receive. And you'll have a powerful encounter with God if you're able to come back. He loves to empower, baptize people in the Holy Spirit and, and heal and all that stuff. But I want to land the plane now because it's getting late, and, and I know we have to uh, grind to lunch. And Where are we all going for lunch? Who cooked enough? Yeah, all right. I just heard Pastor Rick say, come on over to my place. Did you hear that? I thought that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I want to ask you in a second, I'm going to have you stand up with me, but I just want to lay some groundwork real fast. A lot of times people think when you have people stand up that that means try to sneak out and all the ninja Christians sneak out. But I'm just telling you, that's not cool right now. I'm just being honest with you, all right? Um, if you try to sneak out now, I mean, it's not a jail. I mean, whatever. But if you sneak out now, I'm just going to tell you, everyone's going to turn, and please help me with this. If you see someone trying to point at them and yell, heathen, heretic, reprobate, debaucher, winebibber, You know 49ers fan I mean just just give a lay it on thick all right okay Uh, would you stand up with me real quick take a stretch reach that's just a physical thing you've been sitting there for a while the barometric pressures up that humidity man that can that can kill your spiritual passion pretty quick can it all right will you bow your heads with me across this room and just kind of shut out the distractions around the most important decision a person can ever make is saying yes to Jesus as Savior it's really it's honestly it's why this church is here you might have heard the bells ringing on the way in the bells aren't why this church is here the chandeliers aren't why this church is here the band is not why this church is the preacher is not why this church is here so people can find jesus as their savior right it's why we do all this Why all the hundreds of people every week go to all the effort that they do so so someone that's not sure where they are with Jesus can find Him as Savior. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm not talking about doing religious activity, you know, people go, well, I think I'm right with God because I was baptized or I was confirmed or whatever, or I, I did this or I did that, or a religious leader validated me in some way. I mean, those all those things can be meaningful and have, have some level of, of importance. But they all pale in comparison. Jesus said in John 3, that if we have not been born again, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's no other way. There's no secondary entrance. There's no back door. There's no VIP lounge. It's just, we all have to come through the same way. And, and that is to personally say, I have sinned and I need forgiveness. It's not a religious ceremony. There's no documents to sign. It's a spiritual transaction. And God's not looking for you or I to get better first before He accepts us, because honestly, we could never get better enough. But He's looking for us instead. The, the transaction, the coin that He's looking for is not you trying harder, being better, fixing problems, getting a haircut. What He's looking for, the coin that enters us into heaven, is humility and faith. Humility saying, all right, I own it, Lord, I have sinned. I need help. I'm sinking here, Lord, you gotta rescue me. And faith saying, Lord, I believe you're the only one who can help me. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord in that way, they're going to be saved, born again, rescued. So all over this room, as Christians are praying with, with eyes closed for sake of introspection today, if you say, look at your own life and you say, you know what, I've never done that. You might have had religious activity, which can have meaning on some level, but you've never been born again. You've never humbled yourself and put your faith in Jesus in that way. I'm gonna pray a prayer that will enable that to take place. And you say, I wanna be included in that prayer. I wanna make Jesus my savior and the Lord of my life. I wanna enter in that personal side of the will of God today. I want you real quick just to wave a hand at me all over this house, every section lifted up to the Lord. God bless you over there. Yes, 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 In the balconies probably 15 already, awesome. Yeah, 16, 17, 18, awesome, awesome. If you haven't waved it yet, but you want to, get in on this, wave your hand at me all over this house right now. God bless you, yeah. See, this kind of openness and humility and lack of pretense before the Lord is what makes receiving from Him so easy. You can put your hands down. The second question I want to ask, you say, you know what? I I am already born again. I've already confessed Jesus as Savior, but if I'm really honest, my christianity is lived over only in that personal side box i I, I look at my life and i say you know what there i have some nagging unfulfillments in my life spiritually and and i know i'm just kind of busy but maybe i'm not fruitful and, and I really wanna, I feel the Holy Spirit stir me up about this ministry thing. And I don't know what it looks like and what the next steps will be. Maybe the first thing God has me do, or that, you know, if, if I call the church and they say, hey, could you do this, whatever, it may not be the main thing I'll do the rest of my life, but but doing something's a whole lot better than doing nothing. And I just wanna, I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me today about doing more ministry, and getting in that fulfillment. I want you to wave a hand at me all over this house. Say, I love Jesus, I'm going to heaven, but this ministry fulfillment thing, this is something yeah oh that's awesome it's like half the room that's awesome it's awesome Can we pray together? If you already know Jesus as your Savior and you prefer to pray your own prayer of repentance, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. I always love to pray prayers of repentance and confession of faith in the Lord. Just as a wonderful thing to articulate. And today for that first question, you waved your hand saying I want to make sure that I know Jesus that I'm going to heaven, that that he's the Lord of my life. You can pray with us. And again, your prayer of asking Jesus to help you will be more than sufficient. There's no magic words to this. But if you'd like some language, you can follow my prayer, all right? Come on, let's lift our voices together. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your one and only Son and that no one else can save me from my sin but Jesus alone. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and then you rose again from the dead to prove with power that you can overcome all of my sin and all of its consequence. I confess Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead and I now belong to you, Lord Jesus. I am a Christian. I have been born again. I no longer belong to myself. I no longer belong to the enemy, but I belong to you, Lord Jesus. And I welcome your Holy Spirit to come move inside of me. Thank you for this gift, Lord. Thank you, Lord.